have a Bible, go please to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to read verse 30 this morning. This great faith chapter. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30. I want to talk this morning with you about the subject, bringing walls down. How many of you need some walls to come down? Some of you might need walls to come down because you're trying to get in to the place that God has promised you. The enemy is trying to keep you out of what God has promised to you. The Bible said that the children of God will possess the gates of their enemies. On the other hand, some of you might need the walls to come down because they're keeping you in. And you need to get out to freedom. Whether you're in needing to get out or out needing to get in, God can bring walls down. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse 30, by faith. By what? Not by money, not by influence, not by power, not by strength. By what? By faith. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been enclosed or encircled about for seven days. Father, we believe this morning that the walls around your people are the walls intended to keep them out of their promised land blessing are going to come down. We lay claim to our precious promise. You said that your children would possess the gates of their enemies. You said that the church would advance so valiantly that the gates of hell would not prevail against her. And so this morning we pray that the faith for that would come into our hearts, that we would hear your word and receive it as seed sown in fertile soil. Anoint my lips, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Can you shout amen? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. The story of the conquest of Jericho is a remarkable one, one that we enjoy hearing as children. If you grew up in Bible uh, class or in Sunday school, you know all about Jericho. So this morning, I'm not going to take the time so much to tell the story as to relate to you the principles that we can draw from the conquest of the city of Jericho. And there are a few things I want to mention as we begin. First of all, that Jericho was going to be the first city to be conquered in the promised land. The city of Jericho was to be the first fruits of all the victories that God was going to give to the nation of Israel. And so in that sense, Jericho was a tithe. It was that portion that belonged to God. The city of Jericho, God told the nation of Israel, when you possess that city, I don't want you to touch any of the spoils. Don't take any gold, don't take any silver, don't take any of the animals, don't uh, don't take any of the fine clothing because they are holy unto me. We understand from that there is a great principle involved and that is that God must always be first. In the conquest of the cities of of Canaan, there was going to be a great deal of, of work involved. But in this first step, God wanted the nation to know, I will get the glory out of this. 
There are moments in life where God brings us to a place where nothing that we do can help. Where nothing that we do can secure the victory. And we must trust exclusively upon Him. And exclusively uh, giving Him the authority to work in our life. And giving Him the glory for what He accomplishes in our life. And God is zealous of this in every one of us. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of these other things will be added unto you. And so Jericho reminds us of this fact that we must do what God says and put God first. The Bible tells us that Joshua, the captain of or the leader of the nation of Israel after Moses, was was a man led by the Spirit of God. So as we look at the the outline of, of Joshua's actions, we can begin to see how God gives to us the conquest over the walls that surround our life. And I want to mention a few of these things briefly as we go through to see what it was that brought down the walls of the, of the city of Jericho. In the first place, we read in chapter 4 and chapter 3 of the book of Joshua that Joshua consecrated the people. This is always the first step to being able to live in victory. You must live a consecrated life. What is a consecrated life? I realize we don't really use this word consecrated too much, but the word really simply means to separate or to set apart. The consecrated life is a life that is set apart for God's purposes and for God's glory. And God requires of every one of His children that we live a separated life, a life of holiness, a life committed to His word and to His precepts. The reality is this, friends, that there's only one way to live a consecrated life. Because God did not put it within man to have the strength to live a holy life of himself. We, the Bible says, are weak as it is in our flesh. Our flesh doesn't have the strength to please God. Our flesh doesn't have the power to live a holy life. Our flesh succumbs to temptation and to vice. And so, in order to live a consecrated life, we must live a life empowered by the Spirit of God. We must live a life in which God has done a a work of divine grace in our heart. When you and I think about Joshua consecrating the nation of Israel, we must think about the fact that he, he had the nation of Israel circumcised. The circumcision represented the cutting away of their flesh. The cutting away of their old pattern of life. And now they were going to live according to a new pattern of life. And according to a new covenant. That Old Testament picture this morning is a reminder to us. That when you and I came to Christ. Christ cut away the flesh. He cut away our old way of thinking. Our old mindset. Our old goals. Our old agenda. How many of you can say amen to that? How many of you know that when Jesus comes into a life, he changes that life? Some people say, well, I got saved, but nothing changed. And I have to tell them, sorry, buddy, but I don't think you got saved. Because it is impossible to get saved and stay the same. When you have had an encounter with God, your life is going to change. When you have had an encounter with Jesus, things are going to change in your life. 
You know, it would be like saying, I was run over by a train, but nothing changed. Look, buddy, if you get hit by a train, everything's going to change. There is a power greater than a train. It is the power of God's grace operating in the life of the believer. And if you will receive Jesus into your heart, that power will change your life. Because the Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature and old things have passed away and behold all things have been made new. If Jesus has made that, that encounter, has had that encounter in your life, you're going to begin to talk different. You're going to begin to think different. You're going to begin to make plans differently. Your hands will no longer do the things they used to do. Your feet will no longer walk in the direction of things they used to walk because you're a new creature. You're a new man empowered by the Spirit of God. God cuts away the flesh when you come to Christ. That cutting away of the flesh is what we call in theology justification. To be declared righteous by God. God first of all declares the sinner to be righteous. Meaning that God when you come to Jesus. He cuts away your sin of the past. And never remembers it against you again. It's to such a powerful effect. That when the devil brings up your past, God says, I don't know anything about that. It's been dealt with. It's been covered. It's been washed in the blood. Come on, somebody. It's been buried in the deepest part of the sea, never to be brought up against you again. Somebody shout amen if you believe that. And then the Holy Spirit begins to cut away those things in our life that are not pleasing to God. This is what I love about the text because if you read Joshua, the Bible said that when he circumcised the nation of Israel, the Lord said, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. He said, I have rolled away the shame of your bondage, the shame of your past, the shame of your sin. Can I tell you, friend, that the blood of Jesus today is still rolling away reproach. If you come to Jesus, you may have come to Jesus bound by drugs and alcohol or pornography. You may have come to Jesus bound by abuse and your past. You may have come to Jesus with the chains and the baggage of yesterday. But I'm here to tell you that the blood of Jesus can roll away that reproach and roll away that shame and give you a fresh start and a new beginning. You say, Pastor, can God do that in my life? Yes, God can do that in your life, and he can do it in your life today. It doesn't matter what shame that you have endured in your life. There is a God who can roll away the reproach of yesterday and give you the freedom. Some of you have to walk around looking over your shoulder because you're still bearing the reproach of yesterday. But if you let Jesus come into your life, he will, you won't have to look over your shoulder anymore because your sins will have been dealt with and your past will have been put away for the glory of God. Now we see that Joshua, after consecrating the people, he takes a walk. And while he is walking beside the Jordan River, he sees a man, a man dressed in a military officer's uniform. And no, don't imagine the officers of today. He sees a man dressed in armor with a sword in his hand. Now, Joshua was a brave man. He had just seen God part the Jordan River and cross the entire nation of Israel on dry ground. This was a warrior. This was a man who had seen battle and had seen God do some extraordinary things in battle. And so he wasn't afraid of anybody. He saw this man dressed in a military officer's uniform. And he came up to him rather boldly. And he said, are you for me 
or for my enemies? Are you with me or are you against me? And the man answered him and said, I'm not for you or for your enemies. I come from the army of the Lord. I am the captain of the host of the Lord. And he realized in that moment that Joshua realized that he was having a meeting, an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ prior to the incarnation. He was being visited by the almighty Son of God. And Jesus, when he appears to, to, to Joshua way back there in the book of Joshua, Joshua realizes he's in the presence of the deity and he falls on his face and he says these words, what do you have to say to me. In other words, what are your instructions? I want you to notice number uh, number one that Joshua falls on his face in order to acknowledge that there is someone in command over his life. Listen, if you want the walls to come down in your life, you've got to acknowledge that there is a superior authority in your life. That there is an authority that outweighs and outranks you and that it is the authority of the almighty and good God. Say amen, somebody. When you acknowledge his authority, the natural thing to do is to worship him. He fell on his face and he began to honor the Lord of glory. I have a question for you this morning. Who are you bowing down to? Who are you bending your knees for? Who are you laying your face on the ground for? Sometimes we bow down to pressures and to problems and to trials that come into our life. And we let them bow us over and bow us down. Sometimes we bow down to temptation. And we say things like, well, I can't help it. It's the way I am. It's the way my grandfather was. It's the way my father was. It's the way I'm going to be. My children will probably be this way too. And we bow down to temptation as though nothing can change. Sometimes we bow down to the opinions of others. And we let the, hear, the, the opinions of others dictate our life and our decisions. We bow down to the fear of man. And we worry about what other people are going to think or what other people are going to say. Oh, if I go to church and I raise my hands, they're going to think I'm a wimp. If I go to the altar and I cry, they're going to think I'm not a real man. Can I tell you, friend, there's only one opinion that matters, and that is God's opinion of your life. Say amen, somebody. There's only one opinion that should define your life and your decisions, and that is the opinion of the God that you and I serve. Joshua bowed his face to the ground because he realized there is something greater than the pressures of life. There is something greater than the temptations of life. There is something greater than the problems that I face. And there is only one worthy of us bowing down and honoring him, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses had given him this example. In the book of Exodus, we see Moses seeing that great burning bush and having that great experience, Moses fell on the ground and he took off the sandals of his feet because he acknowledged that this is holy ground. He acknowledged that God was a holy God, a worthy God, and that he was in control. We read also about Ruth who went and laid herself at the feet of Boaz, the Redeemer. 
and she covered herself with his garment as if to say, I am at your mercy, and if you will redeem me, I will be redeemed. Friend, it's just that easy this morning. If you want to be redeemed, if you want to be saved, throw yourself at the feet of your Redeemer. Cover yourself with his righteousness, and you will be redeemed. You will be saved, and you will be new. We see also the great apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus at the time, breathing out threatenings against the Lord and against the church. And on that Damascus road, Jesus appeared to him. And when he saw Jesus, radiant in splendor, Saul of Tarsus, the Bible says, fell to the ground. And he began to speak and he said, Who are you, Lord, and what will you have me do? Oh, friends, an encounter with Jesus will change who you bow to. Because you used to bow to pressure, but now you don't bow to pressures. You bow to the God who is above the storm, the God who is above the trial that you face. We also see it in John the Baptist, who when they came to him, they said, Jesus is baptizing more disciples than you, John. And, and you baptize Jesus. Don't you think there's a problem here? Jesus' church is growing more than your church. And John said, don't worry about it. He must increase and I must decrease. I must go down and he must go up. God is looking for a church that will say, God, you go up and I'll go down. Your way, not my way. Your will, not my will. Your word, not my word. It's in that place of submission to God that we begin to find the strength to bring the walls down. Now then we see the third thing. That is that while he is on his face before God, that he asks this question. What do you have to say to me? In other words, what are your orders? Because everyone knows that when you have an officer in front of you, their orders are what counts. What are your orders? What do you want from me? Now we see that in order to bring the walls down, we must be willing to obey divine instructions. I find that this is the part that gets most of us tripped up sometimes. The obedience to God's instructions is the key to being able to possess the blessings of God. You see, if you obey God's instructions, you can have God's blessings. But many of us don't like to obey instructions. We don't like to follow directions. And maybe if you're like me, you buy something at the store that needs to be assembled. And you take it home and you open up that box and right on the top there's a little book of instructions. And it's so de detailed that it's in several languages. And you take that book, if you're like me, and say, oh, what do I need that for? And I know what I'm doing. We start assembling that thing and then you realize, uh-oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't understand this thing. And you got to go back and see where you left the book. Can I tell you that America has disregarded the instruction manual for the blessed life. But I'm here today to tell you, come back to the word. Come back to the manual and you'll have life and you'll have blessing. And you will have the blessing of God in every area of your life. Come back to the instructions. God's instructions for Joshua were these. We read about them in, in uh, Joshua chapter 6. He says, tell the, the army that they're going to walk, they're going to march around the city of Jericho once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, they're going to march around the city seven times. Now notice the instruction was an easy one. He didn't say you were going to go fight Jericho. 
He didn't say you're going to go argue with Jericho. He didn't say you're going to go, you're going to go push the wall down. He said you're going to walk around the wall. Now, God's instructions are usually easy enough to follow, but the flesh has a hard time with them. The flesh wants to do something spectacular. The flesh wants to show off. God says, no, no showing off here. This is going to be my victory. This is going to be my testimony. This is going to be my glory. And so he gives them a simple instruction. We read about Naaman, the leper, who the prophet told him. He said, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. And Naaman went away mad. And he went away angry because he didn't like the instruction. And his servant said to him, Master, if the prophet had told you to do something hard, you would have done it. But he told you to do something easy. He told you to just go wash in the Jordan a few times. And he realized that God's instruction had been so easy. But his pride was unwilling to obey that instruction. Friends, if you want to have the walls come down, be willing to listen to the voice of God. And follow his instructions. Follow what God is saying to your life. Now listen, I know that this is practical. So practical that many of you think, oh pastor, I've heard you say this before. And guess what, you're going to hear me say it again. Probably next Sunday. Because until you and I hear his voice and obey his command, we cannot walk in his blessing. You and I have to be willing to do what God says to do. The second part of the instruction was probably the harder part. He said, walk around the wall and don't say a word. What? You want me to be quiet? I think this is a real challenge right here. God said, I want you to keep your mouth closed. But Lord, my opinions need to be expressed. They need to be expressed. I've got to get it out. I'm not a warehouse, Jesus. Everything that comes in here has got to come out. You, I've heard you say it. Right? I just got to say what I'm thinking. God said, no, I don't want to know what you're thinking. I don't want to know how you feel about it. I just want you to obey me. I just want you to do what I'm telling you to do. The Bible says that even a fool seems wise when he is quiet. Oh, when you're, when you're quiet, it looks like you know all that you know what you're doing. God said, look, I just want you to trust me. I think the reason that he had them to be quiet was because he wanted them to not interrupt what he was doing by saying those things that most often come to our mind in a moment of trial and test. When we want to, we want to be negative. We want to express how bad things look. And we want to say, this isn't going to work. I don't even know why we're doing this. But God said, just be quiet and trust me. Have you heard what the scripture says? The scripture says, be still and know that I am God. Come on, somebody. Maybe this week you've been complaining and moaning and growing and saying, why me? Why now? Why this? God said, just be still and know that I am God. I am in control and I will bring the victory into your life. This instruction was a simple one, but it was also an uncommon and unusual one. Because you see, the city of Jericho was most likely outnumbered by Israel by 200 to 1. The Jews had more power than Jericho. They had more numbers than Jericho. And yet, God didn't depend on their strength. 
He said, I want you to depend on my strength. The instruction was an instruction away from self-led, less driven decision-making to spirit-led, spirit-driven decision-making. Why, Pastor? Because you see, the Bible says that the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. When you set your mind on the flesh, the flesh can only see the lost cause. The flesh can only see the negative answer. The flesh can only see the problem. But when you switch over to the mind of the spirit, the mind, the spirit, the spirit of God sees what you can't see. You see defeat in the flesh but the spirit sees victory you see the end but the spirit sees a new beginning you see a a a crushed life but the spirit sees the rising up from the ashes so don't go by what your flesh sees go by what the spirit of god is showing you in your inner man because that friend that spirit-led life is where the power is and the bible says this simple truth that no one who depends on the flesh can please God. Listen, the flesh cannot please God, but the spirit-led life is a faith life, and faith pleases God. It is faith that honors God. When you stretch forth your faith toward God to say, God, I'm going to obey your instruction, no matter how simple or difficult, no matter how challenging or complex, I'm going to do simply what you have commanded me to do. You have positioned yourself to be in a place of victory before God. Now we see the final instruction from the Lord. He said, when you go around the city, this seventh day, you're going to walk around it seven times. And after you have walked around it seven times, you are going to shout. Now God says, I want to bring victory through praise. I'm going to bring you victory through worship and adoration. And I tell you that praise and worship are one of the most powerful weapons in your arsenal of spiritual warfare. Does anybody know how to use the weapon of praise? You see, praise is powerful because praise confuses the devil. When you get bad news, a bad report, a bad diagnosis, a bad prognosis from the doctor, and you say, Lord, I praise you. I thank you. I worship you. You are greater than this problem. Hell is confused by that. Hell can't understand why you just got bad news, but you're worshiping as though you have good news. I'll tell you why. Because I may have gotten some bad news, but I serve a good news God. I serve a God who can turn my defeat into victory and my bad news into good news. Somebody get ready to praise God and His house this morning because praise is a weapon of the Spirit. That's why when we're in worship, I'll have you raise your hand. Because when you raise your hands, the Bible says He teaches our hands to war and our fingers to fight. When you raise your hands, you're waging war in the Spirit. Oh, I know it doesn't look like much. I know from the natural, it looks like like you're asking a question in, in school. But when you raise your hands in worship and in praise, you're saying, God, I surrender. God is in your hands. And while you come and work, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to give you glory. The Bible said that Paul and Silas were in prison. 
And at the midnight hour, in the darkest hour of their crisis, what did they do? Did they start to moan and complain? Did they call a meeting? Did they have a pity party? Did they say, oh, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrows. No, they began to worship God. They began to bless the name of the Lord. They began to exalt the Lord of glory. And while they were praising God, that prison began to shake. Those chains fell off of their hands and feet, and they were delivered. Why? Because the Bible says that God abides in the praises of his people. Here's what I think may have happened that day in Jericho. When the people of Israel, after having been so quiet for so long, suddenly raised up that shout of praise to God. As they worshiped God, the weight of God's glory came down over the walls of Jericho and the walls could not resist the weight of the glory of God. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about a God that abides in the praise of his people. You see, if, if God abides in the offerings of his people, then it would be about how much you could give or how much you could bring. If God abides in the good deeds of his people, then it would be about how many good things you could do. But simply God abides where his people will lift their voice and give him glory and honor and praise. God abides right there in that place when you have come to the end of your rope. You lift your voice to God and you begin to worship him. The, the day that my mother was, was told by her physician, we have nothing else we can do for you. And he basically sent her home to die. There was a quiet stillness in that room. We gathered around her bedside, having received the worst news of our lives. And we began to sing. We began to worship God. We began to acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Can I tell you the glory of God filled that room and the presence of heaven came down to earth because God don't care whether you're in a hospital room or at church on Sunday morning. He says, praise me and I'll show up. Glorify me and I will come and I will bring my presence and my presence will bring my power and my joy and my strength this morning. What walls are surrounding you? God says, I'm going to bring them down. By faith, the walls of Jericho came down. You see, we are justified by faith. We are consecrated by faith. We obey God's instructions by faith. And we worship by faith. We worship a God that we cannot see. We pray to a God that we do not see. Oh, but friend, when you worship God by faith, you worship knowing that he hears and that he answers. And that faith pleases God. That faith brings deliverance. That faith this morning is activating in your hearts as I preach. I know right now, that the Spirit of God is stirring up your faith this morning to believe that God can do the absolutely impossible in your life and make it possible this week. How many of you need a miracle this week? How many of you need God to move this week? How many of you need God to turn it around this week? Then I want you to stand on your feet and I want you to come into this altar 
And I want you to begin to worship God. Just begin to thank Him. Just begin to honor Him. Come on, all over this sanctuary, let's come into this house, into this altar.